In a gift given to me by the universe, Henry Cavill is no longer going to be playing Superman. And I cannot tell you the types of jumping, dancing, singing, skipping, frolicking that I have done around public, private, semi-public, semi-private spaces today. It's as if for the first time I screamed aloud at the sky and something said, I'm here for you. So cheers to DC, the decisions made, and no longer having to watch Henry Cavill play our beloved Superman. Hey everybody, I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And this is the Mix Six, where we have six conversations, drink six beers, talk about six unrelated topics, and rate it on a five-point scale, because we're giving one up to the Lord. Hello. Anyway, uh, what do we got in the pre-party today, Spencer? So, things to think about, uh, if this comes out before October 5th, and honestly, I'm not sure if it will, <laughs> we'll be at the Game Expo in Springfield at the Expo Center on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, which I believe is October 5th, 6th, and 7th. We'll be demoing Party File. Caleb will have copies of Red Markets. Ross will have copies of Base Raiders and yep. other things, I would assume. We'll also be on a couple different panels about crowdfunding, uh, I think about board game or game design, haven't seen a final list yet, but we'd love to see y'all out there if you can make it. And other than that, I think we're ready to jump into our daily rating system. Caleb? This is a suggested rating system to us, uh, but it was suggested on a very public forum, so I, I feel okay using it here, because it was just so good. So uh, Jeff Koza, I don't know if I'm saying the last name correctly. Koza or Koza. Uh, has suggested from Facebook, the Facebook group, uh, that he's given us a punny rating system, and we just can't turn it down. It's the sum of all beers, which is... The rating of the Jack Ryans. So good. From the Tom <laughs> Clancy series. The ultimate in uh, political thriller Mary Sue's Jack Ryans. Uh, we're going to rate how they performed on a five-point scale. So a one, a beer you would not want to drink ever again that has not done it for you. It has not achieved Jack Ryan-ness uh, in that it is not a series that will go on for decades. Is a Chris Pine from Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. This one hit really hard in particular because I, this was in a phase where I, well, I still really like Chris Pine, and I don't like just the, it's not it's not Pine's fault. No, it's the expectation. It's everything they put around him and yeah. the shit story they gave him. So I was expected. I was expecting to be really excited, born esque excitement for this movie, mm -hmm. and it was a hot pile of shit. Yeah, where's Admiral Greer? Not in that one. Mm. What we get instead? Kotzner? Oh God, no, yeah. no, not at all. It takes place in Russia. Not during the Cold War. Nope. Not having it. Not even like a legacy of the Cold War there. It had Branagh as a villain, but mainly he fights dudes and runs around. There's no, he keeps saying he's an analyst. Right. At no point do I recognize him as an analyst. And he doesn't do a whole lot of analyzing. There's no analyzing. Uh, you got to have that for a Jack Ryan. So a two, uh, which you're getting slightly better, you're going to get a Ben Affleck from The Sum of All Fears. All right. So Ben does an okay job. Not believable as an analyst. Can't buy that. But. He does sort of uh, diffuse the plot of the film by organizing a web chat, which is pretty geeky for a climax, because the climax of that film God, is just that. a talk between the U.S. and Russia during uh, what they're about to do in nuclear state. However, a shitty Jack Ryan, because he allows an entire U.S. city to be blown up by an atomic bomb. So not effective Spoiler. in that regard. Uh, also, you got Morgan Freeman, which is great as a Greer, but... Doesn't make it, spoiler alert, for no. a movie that's over 20 years old. Doesn't fix anything. Um, so, uh, three, I'm going to go with Krasinski, John Krasinski from Jack Ryan, a Amazon Prime series. I'm excited to watch this. Uh, which I have watched it. Uh, you have a pretty solid uh, 
Greer in this one, who has a major role, so that's good. John Krasinski says he's an analyst and is occasionally shown doing analyst things, but he looks like John Krasinski from 13 Hours, so you do not buy it. He is like, man, you know what gives you abs? Spreadsheets, apparently, like... For days. In the uh, first episode, they show him rowing the, the Potomac by himself. You know? He like, also manages to kill multiple terrorists <laughs> with both his hands and a variety of firearms. Not believing he's an analyst <laughs> at any one point. However, it does have the key to a good Jack Ryan movie or any depiction in that. As a series, it has no less than four to five scenes in which Jack Ryan is pulled into a meeting he is not supposed to be in. And while in that meeting, says something he is not supposed to say, but he is boldly rewarded for his can-do forthright attitude, and he ends up being right. That's peak Jack Ryan. You want a Jack Ryan movie? It takes place in a boardroom that he is not scheduled to be in, and he talks out of turn. That's so true. Yeah. Uh, And there's a lot of that in Krasinski. So not great on the analyzing, real heavy on the killing, fantastic at the meetings, evens out to a three. Uh, Then you got Alec Baldwin from The Hunt for Red October. Ball. Not not convincing as a puncher. Gets this weird, creepy smile because it's Alec Baldwin acting. But you can tell he's kind of like excited for a puzzle, even though he's about to be dropped into the Atlantic to board a submarine. You got Sean Connery playing a Russian. There it is. Um, there it it's is. set in the Cold War, which you need for a Jack Ryan piece. I don't think he works in the War on Terror nearly as well. And you can tell Alec's just excited to solve a puzzle, yeah. even if it ends up get him getting shot at in a room full of ICBMs on a fake sunken Russian submarine. like, And then finally, we got my boy. No no doubt. A five. No, a beer a you want to have again. A beer you can only really trust as Harrison Ford, the Jack Ryan from Clear and Presentation Patriot Games. Analyzes the fuck out of shit. That's, that's what he spends his time doing. I could believe he eventually becomes the president because I like to believe in Air Force One. It is just the Tom Clancy books where Jack Ryan is actually the president of the United States. I'm surprised that's not a Tom Clancy book he actually wrote. Get off my plane. Exactly. That is a Jack Ryan line. And you get Harrison Ford punches, which look befuddled, confused, yep. like it's never happened before, right. like he's stunned it worked. But it worked. And it always And that's a Jack Ryan punch. Tons of meetings where he's not supposed to be there and talking out of turn. Peak platonic Jack Ryan. That's what you want for a five. Yeah, I'm in for this. And as someone sure. as someone whose um, stamp of approval on a rating system is obviously the most important part of this podcast, I think this is a good rating system. Oh, don't corrupt it like that. No, nope. it's doing so well. What, checkmate, nerd. <laughs> no, no, Spencer, it's a good, yeah, jump on those coattails. Yeah. You need. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. With that note, we're going to grab some beer and we'll be right back. Spencer, you weren't even invited to this podcast, but I'm interested to know your opinion about that beer. Damn. Because you look like you are a man who knows Ooh. what he's talking about. Man. Are you going to run this theme the whole the whole day? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> if you give up on it, you're Chris Pine. Clancy's dead, and he's still running into the ground, so mm. I don't know why I have to stop. So this It's is a clear from, and present beverage. <laughs> this is from the MIA Beer Company, which I know is Miami because it's the Miami Weiss. Hefeweizen style. That's a great name, by the way. It is, but I really hope it's M.I.A. The Singer, because that is a much more interesting beer company to me. Great song. Uh, It's also got a Miami... The can design is great. The can design alone is a five. Very 80s. Yeah, it's pink. Yeah, the beer is not good. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let me get in there. Yeah. Uh, Uh, I mean, 
What do you feel about those kind of beers in Joe? Um, so I don't love Hefeweizens okay. generally. Um, not my flavor profile. It's like overly heavy. It's like a wheat beer, no filter. And then on the back end, they were like, also, how do you feel about the slightest, most obnoxious hint of coriander? And typically not good. <laughs> um, originally, yeah, coriander, I, I don't really see it vibing with Hefeweizen. Right, that's the weird thing to me is that typically... Seems like I, a weird choice. I get them in the lighter style saisons, et cetera, the farmhouses. I don't get them in the typically uh, less distilled, thicker kind of feel a Hefeweizen gives me. And it's possible that I'm just misreading styles here. Whatever it means, I don't really care for that beer. My initial thought was that's a three. It's unobjectionable. But the back end actually is objectionable. So I'm going to give that a two. Mm. That's a Ben Affleck and some Valfiers. Yeah. Right. Um, am I way off here? I don't know. You tried it. Uh, I, I'd go three, but as we've established... Right, you're the you're the hard. I had, yeah. I had a you're the bad cop on the podcast. I would so. give that a three as well. Sure, and, and I'm not opposed yeah. to it being like meh. Here's the thing: I don't want another one. And typically, mm-hmm. for me, the distinction between a two and a three is like even if I'm not crazy about it, would I drink another one? Yes. If this were the only beer on the menu, I wouldn't order it again. Yeah, we're I'm not saying. fighting about this. Right, it's right, right. right. Yeah. Um, hey, we're into dissecting our fun. If you've listened to this at any point, you know that typically we start with conversations about board games, and today's no different. In today's Dissecting Our Fun, Adrian B. suggests we discuss the following. When we have board game night, what they apparently call BGN, we either have way too many people or the people don't want to play new games. How do you plan a successful board game night? Also, how do you go about inviting only two to three friends of nine to ten friends without making the others feel left out? And I feel much more confident in the planning a successful board game night than I do in the and how do you go about creating social groups out of social groups. That one's a little bit dicier, but hey, let's see where we end up. So, Caleb, from your perspective, what makes a successful board game night? Um, well, number of players is important. Very so important. So nine to ten, you're not going to get anything out of that unless you like a party game. Right. Um Six is pushing it, and you need big game collections to curate games yep. that work well with six because it is a rarity. Mm-hmm. Like, and some people uh, heavy in the board game space will argue six never works. I am not one of those people, uh, but I've seen people on uh, BCG and be like, six shouldn't be allowed. No, I think six works. I, th- <clears throat> I think I think that at six you have to be really choosy about the games that you play. Yes, and you need to be very open to the idea that not everyone at the table wants to play a deep strategy game at six mm-hmm. or wants to play a party game at six. Yeah, and I, that that it's for me, possible for me, but I, I admit you do have to be like sort of skeptical of like yeah, it says six on the box, but right. does it mean it? I think like, that yeah, that's exactly right, yeah. right? Because I think <clears throat> after four. What you're doing is you're really negotiating about who at the table is really really willing to bite into the flavor of, of whatever game you're choosing. So like we did a six person uh, game thing the other day, yeah, and there there was definitely some like negotiating going on about like well what's okay for six people and what are people okay sitting through in terms of turn length, yeah, yeah. because it's six players. You know, if it is a particularly individualistic game, not much interaction, sitting for five other players' turns can frankly be boring. Mm-hmm. Um, so I. I'm happy to do six. Beyond six is a no. I typically won't do beyond four. Yeah, and and a lot of games that are going to seat six are going to be uh, not terribly heavy on the interaction. So we've done like Dominion that worked on the six game night, yeah. but like Sheriff of Nottingham s- works pretty well. Yeah, that's a bluffing game that'll yeah. work. Uh, but Sagrada is fun, but it's very thinking. Like, would you like yeah. all to sit around a table, all six of you, and just mutter fuck to yourselves? Right, right. Because that's a Sagrada game, or it's a Welcome To game, yeah. or uh, a lot of games that can seat six, can sit, can seat six because there is very little interaction. Right. It is you versus your board, um, and that is Sagrada, that it's Welcome To. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> if you're looking for a lot of interaction on your 
your BGN, which I think that's not are. the way to get it. I think yeah. you are looking for a lot of interaction, and, and that's a fine filler. Maybe you've had a bunch of interaction. You're right. like using that to get to another space. Right. Maybe you're eating while you're playing that game. I don't know, but um, you got to be aware of it. That if it's all going to be like thinky interior games where you're playing chess with yourself, like right. that is probably not the best thing to engage that many people. But I agree with you that four is the optimal number. Yep. Um, and and five can work. Pretty much does as easily, yeah. Uh, without getting into the, like sort of the pitfalls of six, nine to ten sounds like a nightmare. I don't. I. I. I honestly, I probably just wouldn't do it. Adrian, I love <laughs> you, buddy, but like you asked me to to go to a nine to ten person board game night. Well, you just went to an eight to nine person board game. Yeah, night I, I, I don't think I could do it. Um, no RSVP. We're going to be playing Cards Against Humanity. I'm going to be jumping out of window and using glass to slit my wrists. Right. Uh, I can't handle it. It's not going to be engaged. I'd do that if it was like we're going to play multiple games. If you have a big enough space yes. and we split up into groups. Yeah, totally. That's fine. And then you could rotate groups. Yep. Like, yeah, so it, but I don't want anything to do with a nine-person turn order. No, like, no, absolutely not. Or yeah. or even, even these games which are built to, like, Deception, right? These, like, larger game <laughs> coup. And I don't care for many of those games anyway, so it doesn't matter. The but, Werewolf Mafia. Yeah, yeah no, Deception I'm, games are great at that number of people. Right, that right. can work. Yeah. I mean, it's just not my bag. Yeah. Like, and that's not your fault. But like, that can work with a large number. You could do Werewolf. You can do sure. um, coup. Cash and Guns, yeah. coup, Resistance, that I, kind of stuff. I think the trick to planning there though um so if you're planning for a larger group then you know in advance i would let them know what games you are playing i i think one of the things that really stalls a game night out especially as you add people is the negotiation phase about what are we going to play because that's a game in and of itself at some point right like someone in a group of six is like well let's play this and someone else is like hey we should play that and the more voices you add the more time you just spend trying to figure out what you're going to play and then unconsciously consciously or not <clears throat> What ends up happening is some factions form and someone feels like they got wrong because we're not playing the game they wanted to play because we're trying to satisfy seven people instead of all eight people. Yeah, you're better off giving one person curational power That's right. than that sort of failed democracy kind of resentment. If you're yeah. going to have to play with that larger group, I would identify in advance what games you're playing because at least then people can choose to come or not to come based on what they know they're getting into. And but at least if you have a split group, you have an either or. Play yeah. at this table or that table. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I think the two groups idea there is pretty good. In terms of segmenting your group up a little bit, so how do you how do you go about inviting only two to three friends instead of, you know, all nine to ten without making others feel left out? I don't have a good answer here other than to say that I don't think that's your responsibility as much as it is the responsibility of, adult, of adults to understand that not everybody has to participate in everything. And I also want to be like, Adrian, you can get nine to ten adults together on the same night mm, mm. with any regularity basis. She is like, apparently not having a problem with this. Yeah. If, if you're that kind of scheduling wizard, have multiple game nights. Right. Like, right. And then just mess with the groups and, and don't leave people out and just acknowledge that like there is a scarcity as to how much, you know, board game there is to go around from a single board game. And so we need to, right. we need to divide this amongst nights and it's not a thing and you can go whatever night you want and it works, but like... And I think you could divide nights based on preference, right? At yeah. nine to ten people, you have to know... Like, like I don't invite Caleb over to play Scythe anymore. Um, like, Scythe is my favorite game. I still will. Right. Caleb I'm just is terrible at it. Like, like, you know, like one of my best friends. If I'm going to have a Scythe night, like, I'll let him know, but I know he doesn't want to show up because Caleb is allergic to Scythe and Preternaturally Scythe is bad at allergic to Caleb. Um, and you so could he, let Murray the dog take my spot and I still think he'd have a better chance. He would, he would do categorically better than you <laughs> playing that game. Um, but you probably know these things about your nine to 10 friends like, well, so-and-so doesn't like X game and so-and-so doesn't like Y game. Well then 
plan nights where you're playing X game with people who like X game and nights where you're playing yeah, Y that, game. That's with a crazy damn like diagram, Adrian. Right. Like, yeah. yeah, like I don't, I don't know how you navigate that or even arrange it. We, I, I run a board game podcast and I'm on a long form RPP year actual play. We can't get nine to ten people together on a single night. Like, yeah. it's just, just the the scheduling stuff is Herculean. You you live in a wonderful world. I like, think the two table thing is the best idea. This is I've a good heard. problem to have. Yeah. I think the two table thing is the way to go. Uh, if you don't have room, go to a bar. Now you have booze and snacks and two tables of board games. Yeah. Like, um, well, if she's saying she can get ten people together on a regular basis, that that would assume that she does have a venue for it. Oh but, yeah. Well, I assume yeah. the space doesn't seem to be the problem. I mean, nothing yeah. in here is like mm-hmm. how do you literally make room for ten people? It's, yeah. How do you deal with the politics of ten people when you yeah. really want to play with two? Well, or you three might not people. have two tables. Right. Or, yeah. Or, or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why can't she just have two nights with five people? Like, well, maybe she can. I mean, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't that, I, that's also what I'm suggesting right, yeah. with the whole like leave people out thing because I don't think it's leaving people out. I think if they're going to get bent out of shape about it, they're suffering from some uh, nerd social fallacies. Yeah, that we talked about before. Because, and yeah, yeah. if you're showing up to a game night, if you're showing up to a <clears> night <throat> with nine or ten people, I'm actually not sure that that in all instances you're showing up to a game night as much as you are showing up to want to hang out with nine or ten people. Yeah, if you're showing up to a game night because you want to play specific games. I think most people would assume that not all of the games I want to play seat nine or ten people, so it's probably okay that we have some segmentation. Yeah, this nine to ten battle royale is probably not engaging people in terms of their tactical fun. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I uh, I'd be curious to know um, Adrian in the comments, and Adrian's pretty active on Facebook, so yeah. I'd love to hear her comments on this. What kinds of games are y'all playing at nine to ten, and um, how's that going? Like I. I, I would be interested in what that looks you like. You know, um, we this happens at Gen Con every year because we oh, you know, sure. the RPPR yeah. fam, and what happens is uh, either people break off for smaller games right. or RPGs, or uh, if they get ten people together to play the same game, it's over a very large table at a hotel, yeah. Yeah. and it's like it's channel A, yeah, it's or, a party game, yeah, it's right. a party card game, yeah, it's a structured conversation, yeah, it's essentially not quite. Oh, yeah. that's a good way of putting a full it. game, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if any of that was helpful. I think more than anything, I'm curious what you're doing to manage that kind of thing, because I have generally gone out of my way to avoid having to manage that at all. Um, because I want to protect my gaming space because I'm weird and all that stuff. So I'm very, I'm very interested. So I'm looking forward to feedback. And and if, if, if those of you are listening who also run large game nights, I'm curious what games you're playing and, and how the dynamics of that, that tend to work out. So, um, anyways, thanks for the question. We're going to grab another beer and we'll be right back. Caleb, what are you drinking? I am drinking Goodwood Red Wine Barrel Saison, which is a Saison. Um, this was brought to us by George and Jen, friends of the podcast. Hey, thanks, uh, George and Jen. Yep. Ale aged oh, sorry. in a <laughs> Pinot Noir barrel. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so that is a good Goodwood Red Wine Barrel Saison, Saison Ale aged in a Pinot Noir barrel. Damn, he's salty. Yep. This guy. A little bit. This I think guy. it's because it's subject. This guy thinks everywhere is Key West. How's he feeling? Oh, he looks inquisitive. Perplexed, even. Oh, he's going back for a second. This is a man who wants to figure out how he feels. You want to be right. Yeah. Look, I'll be perfectly clear. I hate wine. Right? It's terrible. I don't <laughs> wow. like it's any of it. I've never had anything of it that I enjoyed the taste of. That's right. And a wine drunk is... Uh, Everyone else is whiskey drunk for me. I pick fights. Um, but for a beer that is heavy in the wine space, that is not terribly offensive. So a uh, John Krasinski is about as good as that's going to get for me. It's a three. 
but I'm not furious at it. And frankly, with you've got red wine, Pinot Noir, and all that kind of stuff on the label, um, you got off easy, Goodwood. I'm, I'm just saying. They told you what was about to yeah, happen. So it, it's it's the best possible world for me. If you're into wine, maybe that's uh, maybe that's a five for you. I don't know. I don't understand how you live your life. Uh, but um, that's a three just for sweating, me. I yeah. assume because that's all. <laughs> wine makes me sweat, and then I get a migraine. So it's like, no, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Um. Hey. Anyways, we're into your number one tied for your number one vote getter. I might add this week. Um, it's Nerd Splainer. We back. Mm-hmm. Um, and this week we have. <clears throat> We've blended some questions again. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this week, we've taken a suggestion from Jukebox in the Back sent to us by... How do we think this name is? I'm going to sell it... Uh, Keftu? Kef? Keftu? Keftayu? Keftayu? Uh, yeah. Keftu? K-E-F-T-I-U. Do you think... Like, assume Maddie's here. It's Keftu, right? Like, hey, Keftu? That's uh, a little New Zealand. I get it. Yeah. But I don't know. <laughs> but so is all your Australia. That's exactly right. <laughs> all right. So, Keftu asks uh, in Jukebox in the Back, which we're calling Nerdsplainer... I want that Ross explains and samples Vaporwave bit. We have to figure out if it's actually music first. Um, so we've it's decided to turn music, it. We've decided yeah. to turn it into a nerd spoiler. <laughs> now, I have a lot of hot fire that I want to spit <laughs> right now about this whole thing. And so I'm asking you, Caleb, should I? Should we wait to spit hot fire until the end of the bit, or should we spit? Yeah, hot we're going to We're going to wait. I'm going to. Let's start with why I've selected this. Okay. I really wanted to hear Ross try and explain Vaporwave, which I know a little bit about, right. yeah. to a man who's yet to discover YouTube. I, I want to provide um, the proper context here, is that after watching the, the Twitter debate mm-hmm. about what was good and bad Vaporwave this last week, <laughs> I did listen to uh, Home by uh-huh. Odyssey. Well, uh-huh. oh, yeah. Res- yeah, yeah. I listened to two songs. The artist's name Home. is Home. Yeah. <laughs> or by Odyssey by Home. Yeah. And I do have things to say about them. Ooh. Okay. But let's talk about how this bit is going to unfold. Give us a primer. You got 10 minutes. It's, it's, uh, it's Professor Ross. We've never done anything like this yeah, before. Yeah. You're, you're going to talk about stuff. Yeah, I am. And then you're going to play some Vaporwave. Well, we'll, <clears throat> we'll, we'll talk and play. We'll intermingle it. So yeah. to be clear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just wait for it. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. All right. Ross, uh, So, yeah, Vaporwave... Um, it's a complex uh, genre. No, there's it's act- not. Yeah, it is. It's, okay. There's actually multiple subgenres within it. Mm. Uh, so you can you can chart its beginning to 2010 mm-hmm. uh, with Chuck Pearson's Eco Jams Volume One, uh, mm. but the <laughs> it continues on at the same. It continually mutates mm. uh, and changes and evolves over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not going to get too much into the theory of like what it's trying to evoke. Thank uh, you. Uh, but we will talk about there are subgenres within vaporwave, mm. uh, and these subgenres have important distinctions about them. I bet. So, uh, and depending on who you talk to, there are, uh, there could be dozens of subgenres. So we're just going to talk about, uh, let's see, four Time right out. now. Yeah. There, is a, there is an ongoing and persistent debate about what we ought call different types of vaporwave, mm-hmm. is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and it's certainly about the era, too. Like, mm. 2010 to 2014 is different from 2015, 2016 to now. Yeah. Um, I have actually haven't been fully keeping up with vaporwave for the last year, so I'm a little Taking behind. Taking a break? Yeah, well, no, I listened to it, but mm. I haven't kept up with the new artists. Needed so. to get your head right. Uh, I have started, like, going back. Since you prompted me to do this, I right. started, look, I actually found a new artist yesterday. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, uh, Nico Shee Corp. Uh, uh, they put Stop it. 
<laughs> of course, they use the Japanese characters for cat. Obviously. Uh, and they put out a album called Black Mesa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, which is about the sort of music, ambient music you'd hear in Black Mesa research facility, uh, the laboratory in Half Life. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that. I get it. So, what's our first genre here? Uh, so, we'll just start with classic, the, the sort of standard. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are people who say there are subgenres within that, but you know, when people say vaporwave, they usually talk about the classic. Uh, uh, some people call it the hypnogogic, uh, which sort of, sort of a dream, very close to ambient, uh, similar in some ways to Boards of Canada and other artists like that. Uh, so we will play, of course, when people p- want vaporwave, they usually play uh, a clip of this. Which is the song is called Floral Shop with a two E Chape uh, by <laughs> by Macintosh Plus Four Twenty. Uh, and I understand we have a clip of that. Yes, we do have a clip of that. So All we'll right. play thirty the first the first thirty seconds of it. It's like seven and a half seconds. minutes. Jesus Christ! Yeah. That's what it was. Floral shop. That was it. I have been waiting to blow up on this like a fucking. This has been a Mission Impossible mission, and it has been the longest five seconds of my life. This motherfucker. We have been asking for sound effects <laughs> since December of 2016, and someone was like, "Hey Ross, could you edit in some vaporwave?" And dude tripped over himself getting to a computer. Yep. So here we are, and then he plays that. It sounded like an elevator trying to have sex with me. I am not doing that. 30 seconds of vaporwave is 11 years of normal life. It's a time gap. It's where you go to disappear. It's the premise of a new NBC show where you listen to vaporwave, and now you're back, and people are like, "Where the fuck you been for five years?" And you're like, "I just." listen to vape floral shop a for 30 seconds and all your fucking family's dead and vaporwave <laughs> is king but no it's good definitely anyway tell us about it yeah, let's talk about the classic. Uh, yeah, uh, classic uh, uh, vaporwave. Very uh, classic. Yeah, it uh, frequently that came out in like uh, 2011, I believe, mm. uh, by the artist uh, commonly known as Vectroid. Uh, yeah, so uh, they u- uh, <coughs> she used the name Macintosh Plus uh, for this particular album, but you know, uh, it's certainly probably the most iconic uh, vaporwave song. Um, it samples heavily from a Diana Ross song uh, and slows it down. Feels right. Yep, and uh, yeah, it's trying to. I mean, yeah, obviously you've expressed your how you feel about it, but uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't care for that. Okay, um, that's fair. There were moments that I liked. Mm-hmm. Like, there were some of the things that I heard, I was like, oh, if that were not in this song, I think I would enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I'm also having a really hard time distinguishing how much I do or don't like Vaporwave <laughs> from how mad at you I am right now. So it's kind of like, I don't know, man. I'm seeing I love double. Floral Shop. Yeah. I'll just listen to it for fun. Yeah. You're a son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I had to wait until it was worth adding. Uh, okay. sound anyway, I, yeah. I understand we have another genre. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so this is so we're going to be a change of pace. This uh, one popular uh, vaporwave subgenre, actually, Aaron, uh, 
RPPR's Aaron loves this subgenre. Uh, it's called Future Funk. Yeah. And it's about sampling, it especially disco music mm-hmm. and pop music from Japan in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very upbeat. It's very peppy. Uh, and yeah, uh, so we will be sampling uh, Selfish High Heels uh, by Young Bay and Macross8299. Um, <laughs> so it's just like. Every time you say bye, I just assume you're going to give me an AOL instant messenger name. <laughs> that's actually in English. That's a, like easy mode for vaporwave artists. Oh, uh, yeah. That's easy. Mode. Many of them use only Japanese characters. As uh, their all name. right. So let's get a clip of future. Fuck in <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Two in one segment? Yeah. Years. Years in two in one segment? Oh, no. We're going to do more. Oh, my God. Yeah. I need to be honest. I think I like Future Funk. Yeah. Future Funk is very fun. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about the credits to that anime I just watched. Because the music, there's a a quote unquote music video for it, which plays live action Sailor Moon musical footage uh, overplayed with somebody walking through Tokyo. Uh, Just live footage of that. And uh, yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, This one is actually. Uh, has been frequently used for memes, for example, like replacing other music in a TV show with this. Be like, hey, check out this music, and then they blast that. That's pretty smart. Yeah. This is like a fucking Outer Limits episode where I have spent years wishing for a sound effect, and this is what was given to me <laughs> in some sort of like monkey's paw, be careful, sick what you wish reversal, for. and the credits are playing just as I scream, just as I scream into the abyss. Uh, and only with, future with funk future is future funk. Yeah. Anyway, we, I'm sure we have another genre. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's another genre. There's multiple genres. I, I hear. I, I hear. There's a raging debate. I think. I think we have time for genre. one more. So what's the next? Oh no. We, well, oh, only one more. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, Which, to be clear, is with a podcast as stuffed as sound effects yeah. is this. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, well, the next one we'll do then is Vapor Trap. Mm. Uh, Vapor Trap combines vapor wave aesthetics with trap music or hip hop and sort of uh, basically. Uh, it has more of a beat. Uh, it's more. Uh, it's less laid back. It's it's mm. more. Yeah. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. this will be Blank Banshee. Uh, and the song is called Dreamcast. Mm. Uh, this mm. is from Blank ba- Banshee Zero. Uh, Banshee's first album. Uh, people, there's a hot debate whether Blank Banshee Zero or One is better. Of course, Mega just came out last year, I believe. Uh, it's it, like a hot, a lot, lot of hot debating. Yeah, yeah. No, no. The, there's a lot. Also, is Dreamcast better or is Teen Pregnancy better? Um, so, uh, that, like the concept? No, you the just, song. You can't just throw no. that in there, man. No, no, no. <laughs> There's a, uh, one of the songs on uh, Blank Banshee Zero is called Teen Pregnancy. Mm. So mm. But sure I, I prefer Dreamcast. Well, uh, then let's let's no get one. in there. Yeah, <laughs> let's start this debate. <laughs> I don't know about that one. I it part there were parts of it where I'm like, yeah, I could kind of listen to this, and then there were 
there are parts of it that sounded like, what if someone made a Matrix porno? <laughs> and I didn't They want... did. It was the third one. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. That's all I, I could mean, think you're of. You're only was... listening to 30 seconds of a song. I mean, can you truly judge a song by 30 seconds? I can't, because I feel like <laughs> I've been trapped as like some sort of political prisoner in a cell so long that I've forgotten mm-hmm. what the sun looks like. <laughs> and then this this sumptuous bank banquet of sound yeah. has come in to my cell, a.k.a. my podcast, after all these years. And and frankly, it's just a new form of torture. It's a psyop, really. I know it's poisoned. I know I'm going to cut open that glorious Thanksgiving turkey. It's going to have nothing but Greco-Roman kanji inside of it. But I'm just so hungry. It's been nothing but you know stale bread and my own urine and whatever rats I could catch for sound in this, this dark box. But here we are with <laughs> Vapor Trap. And now I just have to stare at this table and wonder... What devious new torture is this? And <laughs> sort of I would, crippled by it. I would definitely say that this didn't convert me. Um, <laughs> but but I, there's definitely there, there's an open door here is what I'm mm-hmm. going to say because I, like when I'm working in particular, I like to listen to like Ratatat and Com Trues, mm-hmm. and I'm very interested in those things plus like weird sampling. So I can see. I heard a couple things in there where I thought, okay, I would go listen to more. Insert name of thing that you said. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's quite a few vapor trap artists. Well, my understanding yeah. is that there's quite a few artists and multiple subgenres. And, and yeah. well, I don't think we can cover <laughs> the entire rainbow of vaporwave. Well, please, I, I, please I, well, let we can us try not. one more. Well, well, I had a question yeah, rather sure. than one more. So, yeah. what what gets vaporwave onto that level for you? That is not itch. That nothing scratches that itch. Like mm-hmm. it's not EDM. It's not synthwave. It's not other stuff you've listened to that's yeah. electronic. But vaporwave is the thing. Yeah. So before we leave this segment, what is the thing that hooked you onto Vaporwave above all those other uh, synthesized electronic music? Um, well, again, I've had I've, I've sort of had a long <laughs> preference for this similar styles of music. Like I, I grew up listening to a lot of like Silent Hill, Boards of Canada, uh, and sort of that music that hits that 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 I can use while I'm writing, particularly, mm-hmm. or or uh, that I can that, that that it's there and it's not silence and it sort of uh yeah just lets me engage in my you know create a focus i guess and i would agree yeah. but i would also say that nothing has been quite so sticky as vaporwave yeah and i also don't think i'd be right i also am that. really intrigued in uh, uh things like abandoned malls and just like this sort of right. like uh nostalgia reminiscence for a past that never was and sort of mourning something that you've never had in mm-hmm. the first place mm-hmm. and i think vaporwave is about that aesthetically uh i mean there's a ton of other albums i could talk about uh birth of a new day by 2814 um i personally have a preference for night of terror by high school drama teacher uh which is a concept album for a dreamcast survival horror game that never existed so they just like made up a video game and then created a soundtrack for it uh and they released it on cassette it's like they're doing their own music writing Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. and it's a it's a great album i've listened to it many times um and yeah i don't know something about vaporwave and uh it's aesthetic uh, really appeals to me. So, um, all right. Well, there you have it. And there is. We haven't all- even gotten into Mallsoft. I, I know, oh, but man. there is all three of our podcast sound effects mm-hmm. <laughs> I in one more. easy to find location. Right there. I don't think I can handle more. <laughs> so I need another beer, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Spencer, what are you drinking in our new soundcast-laden 
podcast. I don't. This is a different world. Yeah. I, I assume that we were just going to. Scrap. We basically started over. I know. Beer three. I thought we were going to get rid welcome of the beer to reviews. episode zero. Yeah, yeah. We're now we're just now we're not even called Mix Six anymore. We don't have a name. <laughs> no, it's Mix Six, but in Japanese, it's just, it's just a symbol. <laughs> Wide letters. And it is a uh, Roman bust by Transversal uh, Beer Corporation. Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a pencil. Um, <laughs> Uh, this is from Taxman Brewing Company. It's the Exemption, which is a Belgian-style tripel brewed with spices. I think it's also from George and Jen. I'm not sure. Oh, good nose. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, man. Can I find someone that can do kanji? Because mm-hmm. I will just make that the episode title. <laughs> yeah, we can do that. <laughs> um, yeah, we're doing that. That's good. That's drinkable. That's Bridget, very drinkable. Bridget knows enough Japanese to do mm-hmm. that. That feels right. Yeah. That's drinkable? Uh, that's drinkable. That, that's what, actually... what spices are being brewed in it? Let's look. Um, So this crisp golden ale unites lemon, orange peel, and coriander spices with some wheat, oat, artisan malts, um, and golden candy sugar. See, a tripel tripel with uh, coriander is something I expect, unlike that last beer. That's a four for me. That's an Alec Baldwin. It's a hunt for Red October. Um, I I enjoy that beer. I would drink more of that beer. Caleb is not having that. That's a three for me. Yeah. Yeah. Rose. I, I like it. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, we're into other number one vote getter um, tied with Nerdsplainer. It's getting lit. Urature. It's a book pun, people. Caleb, what are we talking about? Uh, I had uh, sort of a debate with myself about the book as a physical object uh, kind of running for a while, um, considering what I do. And I, I was I was wondering um, if that's just because of the extremes in which I live my life because I'm so, you know, unpredictable and... A renaissance man, really. Uh, or is that something that is with everybody else? So I'm sort of concerned about the book as a physical object and whether that is something to laud as an appreciation of craft or if it's a fetish that should be scorned and we should be more concerned about the content of the book. I think if the question is either or, I don't have a good answer. because I, I, I don't think it is either or. I think it's both. It is. Yeah. But here, here's where I'm coming from. So... Yeah. I exist in the world of RPGs, yep. and like I'm reading Bluebeard's Bride right now, which is one of the most gorgeous <laughs> books I've ever seen. Uh, the art direction in that is amazing. Um, and while I like the game, and it is great, uh, it is a Power by the Apocalypse game. And while there's nothing wrong with that, like the content does not match the stupefyingly beautiful art in that book. Mm-hmm. Like It is something new in the tabletop space, and the game is very cool, too, and it is doing um, wonderful things to advance the discussion about feminism in games and bring more diversity to the table. But it's doing it with a system that everyone on and their dog mm-hmm. is making a mm-hmm. Powered by the Apocalypse hack right now. Yeah. Um, and so that's very interesting. But I love that game, and um, God knows Red Markets uh, doesn't need the num- amount of art in it. Like, more than half of the pages have art on them. But I wanted it to be a big and beautiful book because I was obsessed with the physical object. And and really, RPGs are very much clearly in that space. And in RPGs, when it's not about how cool and beautiful the book is, that's usually the sign of a terrible person that wants, you know, weird 0.2 millimeter margins and text crammed with no art on it whatsoever. And they scare me and I, I don't want to be near them. So in that regard, book is physical object. That's great. That's why I got into the publishing business. However... I also teach. Mm-hmm. That's right. And the book as physical object for kids, and as I find, as only people read a young adult literature now, for people who are far too old to be kids, 
is the only mitigating factor as to what they read. Everything is judged not by a cover, by whether it has pictures or not, by whether it is small, by uh, you know whether it is on a screen. Um, it is the fetishization of the physical object of the book, and every aspect of the book is judged by the fact. So, like, I can't get kids to read Kurt Vonnegut, like even like edgy, weird kids like us that would love Kurt Vonnegut because it just looks like a paperback. Like, uh, my comics fly off the shelf, which I'm happy about, but no one will ever read a book even related about the same subject matter covered by the comet. Let me ask this question about Vonnegut. And I suppose it's probably a larger question than about the issue. Um, so like, this is very topical. So Brandy and I just painted the office, right? And so we had to, yeah, our, yeah, yeah. our office, you know, at mm-hmm. home. So we had to move all of the books out and the bookshelves and whatnot. And I pride myself on owning almost the complete collection of Vonnegut books of beautiful per- books yeah of a particular style yeah right i mean you know in the in the like those late- abstract covers those yes. vonnegut books are yeah you know the late 90s except no substitute 2000s early vonnegut books mm. are very interesting looking and every one of the books fits into that into that aesthetic style so <clears throat> i'm curious if you had the whole set sitting out like that if that wouldn't produce some book as physical object fetish that the same way that a comic does, because I actually am motivated by collecting entire aesthetically tied together book series. So like I have all of the Philip K. Dick novelizations, I think all of them, um, of the not not the current, but the last style, some of which I haven't even read because I wanted to see them all together because they're so aesthetically pleasing. So I'm wondering if that doesn't induce some of the same kind of <gasps> look at that. That might work, but I mean, <clears throat> that would mean in the public school space. They gave me the money to buy an entire book set sure. yeah, that's fair. and keep it in a condition that is aesthetically pleasing, yeah. which is never going to happen. But like, I, I worry, like, I can't get kids to love like a dog-eared anything. Right. Like, right. I don't have a beautiful, pristine copy of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide, and so I can't get kids to read it. Like, right. uh, you know, like, and and that's the kind of thing. So, like, and it's not so much kids. Like, kids are kids. Of course, they're learning. It's not a big thing. But I know plenty of adults the same way that like oh. won't go to a library that won't. Uh, accept a book that does not have an appealing cover because the content can't possibly good in it. So I, I it, I, it's not an either or thing. I definitely uh, have. I mean, I think with Red Markets, I can show that I've put in my chops for appreciating the book as a physical object to the tune of four hundred ninety six pages. <laughs> like I get it. I'm, I'm into that, and I love those. But at the same time, I, I wonder if that's not the right impulse to support because, like, yeah, I think people are judging books entirely based off that. Uh, they, they, I, I think that there is a segment of the market that does that. I, I'm totally in agreement with you here. I, you know, for a while um, would not go to libraries, would not read dog-eared books, but that's because I, I think I have a little bit of OCD about this, if I'm being totally honest, that bent corners, paper generally, that is kerfuffled, ruffled, torn, ripped, stained, is hard for me to interact with. Um, I just can't do it for some See, reason. I have the exact. I, I'm fine with buying cheap used books on Amazon, and I really love it when I find like random footnotes that are like marginalia that people write yeah, in. Yeah, so like, many people are never going to discuss like yeah. the weird marginalia or the like note underlining. The passages. best one is like the thing you don't know why they underlined it or. Yeah. This comment that you have no idea what it means. Like, that's secret joy. Like, I mean, I have one book on mazes and labyrinths. It's like a critical review of them or sort of like the history of them and that kind of things. And uh, there's some dude wrote a lot about it. He had opinions yeah. about labyrinths. I am. Um, <laughs> I've gotten over some of this. Um, 
what really worked, what really helped me <clears throat> helped is the wrong word. What really made a transition for me here, probably. Um, I started going out of my way to get first and or early editions of some of my favorite authors. So I started actively seeking out first edition of like Kurt Vonnegut books and William Barrett books and Suzanne Langer books. And these are necessarily um, used, ruffled, bent, torn, etc. Because many of these books are, you know, nearly 100 years old or 80 years old. And so I was spending a lot of time in like half price books and like dingy used bookstores in weird places. And I actually started to like find some books that were in old Vonnegut books that I actually thought were like kind of more aesthetically interesting because they were from 1970 and they were ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that helped me kind of break this. I need to have a new untouched. I need to read it. I need to not bend anything, bend anything in the end. I need to put it on a shelf so that it doesn't get bent or torn or yeah. ripped. Um, Having said that, there is still nothing for me as pleasing as buying a book that is largely untouched by human hands that I am holding and interacting with for the first time. Yeah. It, it is exhilarating in a way I cannot describe mm-hmm. without using words that should not be used to describe holding a book for the first time. I mean, I fully admit that. Um, so I'm with you on that. I I don't think we have to come to anywhere on this. I, I feel, to be honest, uh, uh, sorry, uh, uh, but I feel the exact opposite. Like, I love books that are well used. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Because, I just like, that means a lot of people have read it. A lot of people, like, people, it has been, like, what I hate are books that have never, like, that I that I buy and then I don't read and then right. I feel guilty about it and then nobody's ever used them. And I'm like, yeah. oh, God, that's a waste. It's such a waste. But those used books are like, oh, God. Uh, everyone it's used it's been practical it's been important to yeah. Me. yeah no yeah. i totally get that and and yeah. the explanation you've given makes complete sense for for me that whatever that that story about about like the use of the book has never been a motivating feature you know what i mean it's like this book is meaningful because other people have touched it in other places and the ambiguity and the discovery yeah. around that for me it's like does the thing exist in a way that i can interact with it to read the thing which is kind of like there's there's a real like functional approach there i understand um, so yeah, I've just never really had that impulse. I mean, just as I get older, I, I, I'm always concerned about like, as I appreciate these be- more and more beautiful books and these more and more elaborately constructed, you know, pieces of craft, physical objects that are designed. Um, I just keep going back to like Gatsby's library mm-hmm. with like beautiful leather bound blank pages. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, like I always worry, I'm like, am I feeding that impulse by doing this? Uh, or, um, cause I don't think you'd perceive it if you were. But at the same time, I'm not going to stop, you know, reading or buying Bluebeard's Bride or other beautiful RPG books right, because right. they're they're super pretty. Um, so that that's another thing. So I I don't know. It's just something in the split that I hadn't really thought of before as a as a person who likes books and reads a lot of books. Uh, but it is uh, something that sort of struck me of late. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also like ebooks a lot because again, I'm not wasting paper or anything like right. that. It's it's uh, yeah, and I'm not filling up my bookshelves. And then I yeah, we didn't even books. cover the environmental angle. Yeah, yeah. I, I cannot read on an e-reader. I have tried different e-readers. I have tried different formats. I can't do it. Hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, we're into a fire sale. As soon as we grab more beer, we'll be right back. Caleb, what are you drinking? I am drinking from Firestone uh, Sticky Monkey, which is a Central Coast quad, Central Coast quad, sorry, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, of the 2017 vintage. Mm. So uh, you got to know Firestone. They put their individual bottles in a box and, uh, you know, label it like wine. That's either so. the classiest or the most pretentious thing I've ever seen. I think seen it's both. And, and it's, and also, I think it's also 12%. Yeah. So, 
the box could be just to protect you right, right. <laughs> physically from the beer. If sun sees it, it actually will light on fire. So I think there's some there's some protection element here. Five. It's Whoa. Five. Didn't even think about it. It's real good. Did you even taste that It's beer? real. Yes, I did. And it's amazing. And it's very good. And <laughs> it needs a box the covered. Box. It needs a box covered in diamonds. It is beautiful and smooth and reminds me a little bit of a thicker Three Philosophers almost without the cherry. Uh, complex. I enjoy it quite a bit. It is a complex flavor. Boy, yeah. there's a lot there. There's a lot going on. A lot there. I'm not going to like go out and party all night on sticky monkeys because that would meet two of them uh but also because like that would overwhelm you and i, I think that'd be the worst hangover on earth uh but it is a very good is anybody else beer. getting raisin on the back end i feel like now i'm dealing with raisin which is interesting to me i'm not i'm not particularly opposed to it it's just that's not what i was getting on the front there was it some, does sort of have a salt to it yeah there there was some like yeah, malt a, a, and a caramel yeah. there's a bit of on a the salt front, to it and yeah. then and then on the back, it's like, that feels like raisin. I, it's an interesting beer. I don't know if it's a five for me. The The thing that you've said that resonates most clearly with me is when you take the cherry out of that type of beer, I actually think the cherry adds a nice um, sourness, tartness that yeah, I yeah. like. So it's probably like a four-ish for me. I don't know. But it's got that sort of complex flavor four. that yeah. sort of uh, rings in, it rings in your mouth like a bell that went off. Yeah, there's like, a lot. like a yeah. three philosopher. Absolutely. Show. And uh, I mean, <clears throat> we're up to 300 and... I don't 30 know anymore. something beers at yeah. this point rated. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm getting more wonky when it comes to beer. I mean, that was bound to happen for sure. Uh, so, yeah, it's a five. Hey, it's into Ask Mixed Six. Uh, and we actually had a lot of user submissions this week in the last couple of weeks. So, we've decided it's time for another fire sale. Uh, well, I don't have horn. to do that anymore. Oh, yeah. You're going to add that you're in gonna, now. You're going to put that in there, right? It's not vaporwave. What, <laughs> if, what if I find that noise in a vaporwave song? I, if you find it. <laughs> that means you'd have to listen to vapor. Hive mind, that. help me! I need a triple rap horn <laughs> oh, in a vaporwave song. Son of a song. bitch! <laughs> Seriously, I will Venmo Square Cash someone ten dollars <laughs> if they find this for me. Send me the song. Send me the timestamp. Money on the table. And send me your username. <laughs> All okay? right, I'll fucking accept it. Bingo. Uh, okay, so we're gonna start. Uh, first question from. Uh, Maddie Gibbons, she asks, have you ever agreed to do something without fully realizing what you've committed to yourself to? What happened? For example, the other day, someone asked Maddie if she'd be willing to work a gig in Jakarta. She assumes because Australia is just full of tiny towns with little weird names. It was in Australia, and now she's on her way to Indonesia. So, not Australia. Caleb, have you ever committed yourself to something you didn't know you were committing to? I've never done it so hard. I ended up in a different country. Uh, So, there's a level here. Um, that said, I have taught before, so yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, no amount of school prepares you for the uh, vocation of teaching, and no amount of teaching prepares you for the things that you get roped into doing yeah. while teaching. So that's typically where that... But that is altogether more mundane uh, than being whisked away to scenic Indonesia. Here, here's uh, so, what I needed from you in this moment. I needed you to name a specific thing that was topical, because then I was going to say, sure, I have marriage and then i was going to insert the price is right like you just lost the bum, bum, <laughs> well i was gonna have ross do it because obviously that's probably it's, find a vaporwave cover it's that. called like game show funk or like, that would it likely exists right. <laughs> that pro- that there's like a 50 50 it's a song it's a song <laughs> not gonna lie drew carey's toes um, is there a rule 34 for vaporwave like God, no! If it's a not. sound, it's become vaporwave. I, they, mm, I mean, Rule Thirty Four <laughs> is about fetishes, but like you know, we'll, yeah, because vaporwave's not that. Anyway, moving whoa. on. 
Hey, Turtle from the RPPR Discord asks, how do you make a story engaging in real time, such as when GMing or on a podcast? Caleb? Um, feedback. Uh, people are giving you feedback whether they are doing it verbally or not. So when Tom Church is on his phone, he is not engaged with the game, mm-hmm. no matter much he's going to tell me when I get on him like a teacher. Right. So I need to do something to get Tom re- roped into the adventure. So um, if you're doing it live, you need to take the liveness as part of the bit and use the feedback to alter things on the fly. Otherwise, there's no point in not recording and editing it. So, If it's not live and you're doing it, for example, on a podcast where there aren't a lot of people in the room, uh, you can gain feedback. I can watch Ross and Caleb as I tell a story sometime, and I'm like, yeah, this is going well. Or, no, uh, Caleb starts to yawn, pass out. Ross is given – he's actually just on like a mixer over there. Um <laughs> So one of the things that I've noticed that really helps is thinking ahead of time about what information people actually need to know and what information might add some flair interest and then finding a nice balance between those things. One of the things that annoys me most when I listen to people tell stories in non-live settings is being unaware of how much information they've just given me that doesn't move the ball in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. Next question. Uh, So Adam Maloon asks... How do you behave as a player when introducing new players who are ostensibly friends to a complicated game that you are familiar with? Do you play as a novice or a medium AI to demonstrate different rules or strategies? Or do you go all out in trying to win out of respect for your opponent as a competitor? I learned best by playing and want to make sure new players don't resent playing a new game with me. Um, I... I think it depends on the people. It depends on the people and I think it depends on the game as well. Um, and so like if you're if you're not if you're a novice or a medium, if you're really just trying to get into gaming, then very willing, want to play at a at a kind of like novice level just to show you how the mechanics work so you understand the interaction. Um, but like when I taught you and Sarah Scythe, like you guys play a lot of games. You get it. After a first couple of turns of Scythe, like people know, oh, this is what I'm doing in Scythe. And at that point, it's like we're now just playing the fucking game. And so I think it depends on the people. I think it depends on the game, if I'm being totally honest. I mean, there are games like chess that I would be easier on if I was like playing something totally new because sure. like chess is simple to learn but hard to master so yeah. like it depends on like how long it takes them to be yeah. like proficient so. i think there's that there's something to that i also think there's yeah. probably a window which is if you're going to play on on an easy mode play on an easy mode long enough for people to understand the game and then once it's clear they're picking up the game and starting to take their own turns and make their decisions i think that you can probably start to play the game a little bit more as well uh, i'm generally not trying to win if i'm trying to teach a game um just because i'm rarely trying to win cutthroat wise in most games because i find that one of the least interesting parts right um and then furthermore um i'm more interested in doing things that are going to help them understand the game but it's the teacher impulse yeah i feel weird if i'm just like stomping people like just like i'd feel weird if it was your first essay and i'm just like well this is shit like i wouldn't do that um so yeah um, RCB asks, assume the Sapir Wharf hypothesis holds. Big assumption, conceitedly. What word and therefore concept do you remove from the English language? Uh, deserved. Ooh. <laughs> to deserve. I would eliminate the verb. Wow. You can earn things, but it's not the same as deserving things. I think it leads to entitlement. So I don't, wipe I don't, it out. Yeah. I'm in for that. I don't know that I... That's a good answer. I'm going to move on from that. All right. Um, are, uh, Cassidy asks, are you receiving appropriate amounts of beer? Too much? Not enough? I want to send you some, but if you already have a ton of beers to try sitting around, should I worry about what I send going bad before you get to it? Actually, what a timely fucking question. We are in a crisis, Cassidy. We are in a and crisis. you are here to save us. Here's, what, here's what's happened. It's now middle September. Mm-hmm. 
we have had beer. I've done a count. Yeah, we have had a beer. We have not paid for a beer we have tried on this show in the year of 2018. Is that a correct since, statement? Uh, since November. Yeah. Yeah. November of, of last year. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. First mm-hmm. and foremost, thank you to yes, all of thank you. thank you to everyone. My yes. goodness. Caleb and I were talking about this the other day, and it blew my mind and almost brought me to tears because all of you are so kind. Having said that, how much do we have left? We are currently... Uh, I didn't know we had more beers from Jen and George over here. Right. So... Factoring that in, we are currently 12 beers short to make it to one whole year without buying beer. My God. 12 beers short of a full year of beer arriving to me in my mailbox. This is entitled. I am Deserving. I am I am the emperor with no clothes right now. I am complaining about the fact that the beer box that I've come to love at the P.O. box uh, that we own has not spit out more beer lately. But I'll be honest, I really want to go a full year because just the bragging rights right. alone. We, just, can't, we can't write a book just called to talk the year to the many beer. other drunks I hang out with and be like, hey, you remember that one time where I went to a magic beer box and it just gave me new beer? You're that magic beer box That's listener. Right. You're that magic beer box, Cassidy. Send us all you want. We will be deeply appreciative. Evan, Evan G. Cologne, I have to ask this one because I have no idea what it's really talking about. <laughs> Evan Cologne asks, what is the point of Grimdark? I mean, which I understand a little bit. And does it have any value? I ask this because I just read all of the available issues of the Goblin Slayer manga. Now I just don't know anymore. The point of Grimdark is to react against kitsch. Kitsch being the denial of shit. So the idea that, you know, Mickey Mouse and, you know, Disneyfication of things, the denial of anything bad happening, cartoon universes, 1950s suburban homes, you know, a wife, two and a half kids and a dog named Spot, white picket fence, that kind of stuff. Well, Kitsch is also emotionally parasitic. It, it uses the symbols of like emotion in order to uh, to invoke them, but without actually earning them. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. And at Grimdark, as a reaction to that, is ipso facto reactionary. And so uh, while the point is to react against Kitsch, uh, does it have any value? No, because it's the denial of joy or humor or cuteness or levity, the denial of goodness. Um, And so it is Kitsch on the other side of the coin. So Mm. that is my opinion. That sounds fun. Uh, James D. Burns asks, because of the board game industry maturing in the last few years, there have been multiple mergers or acquisitions of board game publishers by a few companies. Is that healthy for the industry? Are we seeing the formation of another Hasbro where they just own IP and don't publish anything? I don't think we're seeing the formation of another Hasbro, but I have talked to people who have been like, say, responsible for selling love letter to different companies and Mm -hmm. part of those mergers and acquisitions. And I've heard one of two things. Um, I've heard people say that it's because the good times are never going to end. We're going to quickly get to a area in which um, we're going to be like video games. Things are going to be out of print and we need to do reprints of them. And that stable companies that have their own factories stand to make a shit ton of money when they're reprinting extremely popular games. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know certainly the people that reprinted container and found my ass and <laughs> stole my money. Like I'd so been robbed did, but- in a, ba- yes, I did. I did. <laughs> um, they certainly made the right move there. So that's the one side of that uh, argument. The other side of the argument is that I've heard a lot of people are preparing for the coming store, right? They think it's going to crash. Yep. They think there's a recession coming either globally, which I can't argue that they're wrong, or specifically within the game industry, which I don't see, but it could happen. And they are preparing for the dark times by snatching up really popular IP that can sustain them through what they seem to be, they they predict being a dark, lean time. So um, 
it's part utopian, part apocalyptic, man. Uh, I don't know. Uh, that's the that's the feeling I get on the ground. But anyway, yeah, Alex Bauer asks, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, "What one event in your life has uniquely shaped you?" You know, I've debated on this. Um, I saw this morning. I saw this question this morning when I was um, kind of going over some episode prep before work, and I just don't know. You know, this could really go one of two paths, if I'm being honest. I could talk about the stuff that, like, really hurt and made me feel weird and bad and made me be a different human. Or I could talk about the stuff that's like, meh. I mean, it it meaningfully interacted with my life. And I just don't think we're a show that does the really, like, meaningful bad stuff. Yeah. So so leaving those things out. um, I would say losing. Um, losing big things has had the most meaningful impact on my life. I was a competitive debater, um, um, speech kid for a long time. And, um, I, I lost in very like key critical weird moments and, um, to have to confront the limits of my own ego, uh, at, at a young age, a high school age, a college age, even later in life as an adult, you know, a semi-adult when I was coaching, uh, has been very meaningful for me and taught me a lot about what it's like to not flip out all the time Mm -hmm. when you think you deserved something more than what you got and to appreciate things. And I think that's been really meaningful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. That's it. Yeah. Uh, might'll be meeting Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. Hands down. Right. I was in cell with all the hatred pointed inward, which mm-hmm. I suppose is superior. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely superior. But um yeah, I thought it was I was going down alone, like Popper's grave, thrown into a side <laughs> of a ditch, like forgotten with a bunch of cats. Uh uh, but no, Sarah, yeah. definitely, hands down. Um say the name again. Kef Spencer. Too. There we go. Uh-huh. Um what would each of your fursonas be? I need to tell you very honestly, two times I have opened up a browser. <laughs> That's a great way to begin this. That's like, that's the perfect way to Fraught begin this. dramatic pauses. Because that's how you tell a good story. Because I I don't know the fursonas as categories, but, and I wanted to figure out. Do you know out, the term? No. Okay. Uh, fursona, yes. Okay. Um. So I was going to type in furry and then lazy, didn't want to be touched, like to sit by themselves and be quiet. And that would, whatever, so I assume like a cat or a squirrel or maybe like an oxen. I don't know. I don't know. But whatever that is, is what I am. I've definitely thought about this before. I'm a porcupine. I've been to Vision Con. I've seen too much of furries in the real life. I got to guard my six. And uh, Sarah said she was an amoeba once, which is a solid pick. God, that's such a good solid pick. And you got got the organelles floating around in your Mm -hmm. suit. Like, pretty true. Yeah. Like, that's Sarah. Oh, yeah. You know no, she's I, definitely an amoeba. Um, yeah. Killed it. Last question. Scott Henderson asks, how do you work-life balance? It feels like there's so much to do in work and then personal projects that can take up the weekend that it is difficult to find time to relax. Do you have any tips? We've talked around this and in various iterations of this. Um, don't ask Caleb about self-help is one way to avoid the stress of work-life balance. So let, let me, let me <laughs> lean, lean in on what? this one. Um, before Caleb goes off me? on some philosophical about rant me? about the notion of balance in work and life. Uh, and let me just say this. I really think, and I know I've said this before on various segments, I really think the most important thing that I have worked on as an adult, at least for me, is learning to recognize when my soul, my body, my brain, whatever it is in me is telling me you're out of whack. And then, and then rather than immediately worrying about what to do with that, um, sitting for a moment and taking stock of why I feel out of whack. And so I really do think, and I know this is shit advice, and so I don't feel bad about it because you asked, you knew you were getting shit advice, but 
I really think listening to whatever it is in your body that's telling you you're not in line and then not immediately panicking about how to fix it, but rather taking stock of why you feel that way is the best thing that I've been able to do to manage that. All right. And on that note, and before Caleb gets an opportunity here, we're going to grab another beer and we'll be right back. What I question is the notion of... Spencer, what are you drinking? This is the this is the Stone IPA. I mean, this is like this feels like a foundational beer when you get into IPAs, right? I mean, um, Stone notoriously has a one of the most beautiful campuses in all of beer. Apparently, out in mm-hmm. San Diego, I've heard from great friends how wonderful the Stone campus is. But Stone just makes good, heart of the middle um, beers. The Stone Pale Ale was one of my favorite pale ales when I was drinking. Beers of a certain type, IPAs included. I will sample it, but I have had many a Stone IPA. Many a drunk bro has grabbed me by the lapels and espoused the virtues of this beer while I looked confused. So, yes, it is a staple IPA. Yeah, look, it's a it's a it's a good beer. Mm-hmm. Um, it you know it's a it's it's a three for me. It's and that's that's where they all fall. It's an IPA. That's yeah. right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly right. Uh, if I were into IPAs, probably be a four. Um, it is not my favorite IPA. I don't think it's the best IPA. I think it's at the core of learning the IPA vocabulary. Yeah. But I, I don't think it's the best one, but it's a three for me. I'm not going to drink that because I've had a million stones because right. I've been to a million parties during the dark times, right. in which it was the only beverage on offer. Yeah, that's right. So we're into this was a mistake. Caleb, you've proposed this topic, so please expound. All right. Uh, my topic, I'll, I'll do the thesis first and then explain where it came from is that thinking things you're into are other than toys. Mm-hmm. And where it comes from is an anecdote that I had. So recently, uh, Sarah's sister came down. Oh, my God. And uh, I didn't realize this was this. This was this. Uh, yeah, because I definitely texted you about it because I was having a panic attack. <laughs> uh, her, so my little nephew comes down, and he looks at the board game room, and he says, well, this is the coolest room I've ever been in. And so, like, swell with uncle pride. Just... Yes, this is my function in this family. I have the cool room because I don't have kids and I get to keep all my toys out here. But then I'm like, yeah, that's fine. So he really wants to play the Fallout board game. And I'm like, well, I don't know how to play that yet. And all your family's here and we're hanging out. But you can just take it out and look at the minis and play with it. So he's playing around. He's setting it up. He's trying to read the rule book and set it all out. And I'm you know, telling him what little I know about the mechanics. And it's fine. Play with the game. And we're, we're having a lovely night. So then I get up. And I have to go to the other room to set out, like, you know, bed linens and things to get ready for people to stay the night. And I come back, and it's put away. And um, uh, I'm, like, going to go put it on the shelf. And Sarah's like, "Um, I don't know if we should put that on the shelf yet because the nephew, I'm going to, you know, he doesn't deserve to be named in this, you know, shameful ordeal of Mm -hmm. my podcast. Uh, The nephew put it away. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so I I put it in the bedroom, and I'm I'm doing okay. Mm -hmm. But at that point, I, I sort of like open the box and peek as to how he put it away. And then I go out to the door and I just like, <laughs> I don't remember what I did. But Sarah says that I was just sweating. Like I just came out and I just had like a flop sweat just rolling down. And then apparently I said, I'm, I need to go to the bathroom. And then I just went into my bedroom and dumped out this just disorganized atrocity onto my bed because it could it could not stand like nothing was in the proper box all of the bags were emptied and mislabeled 
the the rubber bands were left off oh or broken. God. It was it was a nightmare, and so I did spend fifteen minutes of the night uh, not engaged in kind of social conversation, sort of like obsessively mm-hmm. organizing this box back to my <laughs> level of standards yeah. and putting it away. It was not my proudest moment. Uh, mm-hmm. I did have a sort of psychotic break. Apparently, when I saw it. Kept it, kept it internalized. That's good. Great. Didn't, good for you. didn't do anything. I, I want credit for that, but did just sort of had a you know freak out at the, that level of disorganization. And here's the thing: it was not, it it was not very different than what a kid would have done had you put his toys away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I realized, like, I have a podcast, and I've got this like whole room, and I've got shelfies, and I've organized them according to like game type and then alphabetically and i've like done all this like stuff and you know i I, i've professionalized it as much as possible but it's a toy because it's a toy because an 11 year old was really psyched to play with it in the same way that i am Mm -hmm. and it was a toy in the fact that like i got really angry when it was put in the wrong box Mm -hmm. based on no rational reason like Mm -hmm. those pieces weren't going to break there was nothing wrong with it. I still haven't played it yet because we're still trying to hack through Origins games, not to mention Gen Con games. There was no reason not to leave it in the just Azathothian chaos <laughs> that was left in that box. I could have done it and everything would have been fine, but I couldn't have slept that night. Yep, like uh, right. I, I would have. It was just a total freak out that really surprised me. And I wonder if like we all have something like that, mm-hmm. like. It's just a car mm-hmm. until it's not. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, you know, it's just a, a band until it's not. Right. Like things that are like obviously toys that we react to, like their toys yeah. and well beloved toys. But yeah. we've sort of deluded ourselves as adults mm-hmm. uh, by you know using electronic means to broadcast our opinions about our toys over the internet. In or, some instances, or to assume that a more robust vocabulary for the thing has made the thing more than a toy. Yeah. You know right, what it's I mean? It's a toy. Right. I like, I really like toys and we do a podcast that starts with a discussion of our favorite toys right. and, uh, how the toys are designed and yeah. I'm, I'm into toys. Yeah. My in-laws were in town the same weekend. And while I didn't have a moment like you had, because honestly, I'm not sure that I would have recovered from one. While you were texting me, I was screaming at the phone. Well, like, Sarah was texting you yeah, for the because right. I I could not function for it. Sarah just saw the sort of animal terror in my eyes yeah. and began taking pictures, which I did convince her to delete. And then, uh, you know, frantically texting you about how right. I was reacting. Yeah, I was screaming at the phone like, oh, "Kick him out! <laughs> Kids got to sleep on the street tonight." Got, he's going to learn today. <laughs> My in-laws were there, and that same evening, I taught them Scythe, um, which is which is a, an uphill battle. Not And they're avid gamers. It's not mm-hmm. because of them. It's just Scythe is a it's big It's because game. of Scythe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I realized uh, about 10 minutes into it, we hadn't even talked about Scythe. I just talked about the organizers and accoutrement I have for Scythe. <laughs> And how excited I was by them because you brought me the broken the broken token box, uh, and then I bought the metal coin upgrades, mm-hmm. and you got me the metal resources, and I had all the expansions, and then one of the expansions is signed by Jamie Stegmeier, and then at some point it kind of like snapped back into reality, like we aren't even talking about the game right now. <laughs> I'm talking about the the fetish I'm just showing I've built off my around. Collection. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. You guys want to see my rocks? You know, um, and uh, but but here's the thing. Um, 
I think it's really healthy to have reminders that this all thing is just cardboard and plastic <laughs> and you put shelves, you put it in shelves and you organize your shelves and it's all interesting. And I think it's great. And it's a way of coping with things and enjoying your life. And that's wonderful. And, um, one of the things that made me feel better about my hobbies, my interest was going to Gen Con because I didn't leave Gen Con going, man, a lot of people are really into board games. <laughs> what the fuck? I left Gen Con going like, man, there's a big space for people to be into board games and yeah. I'm really into board games mm-hmm. and I'm not as into board games as some of those people are, but I'm pretty into board games. I would say you're not into board games in the same way. Some of those Yeah, people I think that's are. fair. I yeah. think that's a good distinction, <laughs> but like that was cool. We're, we're deep in the hole. Yeah. Like, yeah, real deep in the hole. Mm-hmm. I mean, look what we're doing right now. We're mm-hmm. talking about how deep in the hole we are on yeah. board games. Um, I have no, I don't feel bad about it though. But I, but I think it's a good reminder occasionally to remember yeah. what it is you're obsessing over. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, also one of my, I've never wanted to be anywhere more than <laughs> watching you deal with that. So um, it wasn't my best look. It could have been worse, but. Um, Guys, don't worry. The box is organized again. I watched my um, mother-in-law at one point pick up uh, my, my father-in-law. He he got us into Talisman, and I watched her pick up the Talisman board kind of haphazardly, and the Talisman board is like two L's stitched together, mm-hmm. and it ripped in half, and I had to leave the room. Like, <laughs> like nope, can't do this. So I can only imagine. For not a, for it was essentially a Roland movie. Yeah, yeah. Had it been my talisman board, I might have divorced my wife out of spite for her family. So it's like, yeah. Anyways, uh, we've got one left. We're going to grab our last beer and we're in a drunken hour. Caleb, what is that? I'm going to drink a... Whoa, the smell is strong. I just opened it. Whew, it's lemony. Uh, I'm going to drink a Tangerica, which is a tangerine wheat India pale ale. From Concrete Beach Brewery, I yes, got you. Yes, from Concrete Beach Brewery. So I'm going to give it a shot. And where are they located, by the way? Miami. Miami? Lots of Miami. Miami. Yeah. Uh, I think these came from Chris Hammond uh, from uh, Role Playing Exchange. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Chris. He gave it to us at Gen Con. So. I've decided that I like an IPA when it's cut with some citrus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Something helps. that helps the bitterness. Yeah. Anything at all. Oh, like, that's a good, yeah. Uh, so um, Good combo. I'm going to give it a three because I've had better ones cut with citrus, mm-hmm. but it, it is it is good In for theory. an IPA. I, three, I like it a bit. A three is actually drinkable by your Yeah, no, I would drink it. more yeah. than one of that. Yeah. It, is, it, is a, it is a high three. That's so. not nothing. I'm going to give it a Tangerica, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hey, we're into Drunk Enough. Um, So the the evolution of this topic looks like this. Um, Caleb Caleb, uh, has the new Spider-Man game for the PS4. I do not. God, it's good. And I have not purchased it because just last week, in the same week the new Spider-Man game came out, the Destiny expansion, Forsaken, came out. And I have... Right. Disturbed that I have not turned that on either. Right, exactly. And so I told myself that I could not play Spider-Man or buy Spider-Man, speaking of toys, um, <laughs> until after I'd made significant progress in the Forsaken because the Forsaken was like a $40 expansion. I don't need to go throw money around, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have at every turn watched every fucking gameplay video I could find of Spider-Man and have asked you no less than five times what it's like to play Spider-Man. It can't equal the feel. Right, and that's the thing. And so it, <laughs> it kind of got me thinking today, like, how do you manage... 
that kind of video game anxiety because like I don't even really have that about shows as much anymore. Like I don't care how Breaking Bad ends. I'm not going to finish it. You can ruin it. You like tell me he gets taken up in a flying saucer and I'll be like interesting. Um, <laughs> There's a unicorn, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but video games are a medium that I really struggle with fear of missing out. Yeah. Um, and then you know you kind of suggested like isn't that kind of like cultural ephemera generally though? And so I, I kind of want to have this conversation around like, what are the things that you really have? Anxiety is probably too strong a term, but certainly some like ugh, about missing out on uh, video games for certain are RPGs. I, I hate not being able to play in game nights and I hate that we, uh, you know, don't get a chance to play as often as we do board games that I own and haven't played yet. Shame mm-hmm. shelf. We talked a little mm-hmm. bit about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and books, yeah, books I haven't read yet that I need to read. Mm. Um, mm. So you know, guilty, guilty admissions to books you haven't read yet, things like that. Yeah. But here's the thing: I don't know how we talk about this because I can't separate this from my seven plus years now in the podcasting uh, area, right? Mm-hmm. And especially this podcast because, like, my cultural FOMO is like legitimate FOMO, like. We need this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I need to look at my toys and right. play with my toys so I can talk about my toys on a microphone because that's part of my income. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Interesting, so, like, right. My FOMO is like almost professional FOMO. Not like, just like I'm missing the conversation on Iron Fist 2, but like legitimately we we will need to talk about Iron Fist 2. Yeah. And you haven't yet. Yeah. Right. And like, and, and my job, my, my day job, we talk about teaching and like the struggle of that because we don't have a whole lot of time for like internal socializing most right, of the time. Right. And then most of that is sports that I was never I never had a chance mm-hmm, to fear mm-hmm, missing out. Mm-hmm. I, I missed the bus. Um and then otherwise that it's like with the kids. I sometimes have FOMO with the kids. Like they'll talk about things that I don't know and I feel my age. But at the same time sure. like I'm not supposed to be their friend and talk right. about everything. Yeah, I'm yeah. like um you know I have mentioned certain things that they are surprised I know about. Mm-hmm. Um but then they do the same thing that like they still play Skyrim. I'm just like you were you were like three you were when negative. Skyrim came out. Right. Like you weren't an idea. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like why are y'all still playing Skyrim? Like I mean, I'm psyched because Todd Howard keeps releasing it on everything. <laughs> I know it's going to be on Apple Watch. It's going to be in your toilet. It's going to be everywhere. Skyrim is in Sky- your car. Did you see the Skyrim refrigerator yeah. uh, skit? That was oh. really good. Uh, anyway, um, but yeah, like I, we can sort of have these cultural conversations. It's always good for me in the classroom. It helps build relationships. Sure, that kind of thing. But. Um, I don't know if I can separate this because, like, I don't think I would have this nearly as bad if I wasn't doing this side gig as hard as I am. Yeah, no, I, I, I guess I really hadn't thought about what the relationship between my, oh my god, what am I missing? I and, mean, you should have FOMO over Spider Man because it's the best game ever made. Don't and do that, man. What <laughs> you know the what fuck? I, you know what? It's I, like the sequel to the GameCube Spider Man Two. Like, Jesus. oh, it's so fucking. Good. You know what I? Most, Andrew Baswell said that. And I'm yeah. just like, that's the truest thing I've ever heard. You know what I most like about the game, even though I haven't played it at all, <laughs> is it makes you feel like Spider Man, and I know that because every fucking review of it ever it says it makes you feel like Spider Man. Literally every, and review. that's all they say. They just copy and paste that twenty times. But but I you there's like never been a more compelling sentence in the world. Yeah, every review of Everest was that it was a mountain, and you know they're not wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you want to get me to Touché. buy. Right. If you want to get me to buy something, tell me it makes me feel like I'm Spider-Man, right? You're like, did you want to drink this acid? I didn't. It makes you feel like you're Spider-Man. <laughs> How many acids can I buy, man? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that That's the fucking problem. You know, for me, um, 
one of the ways that I've resolved some of the broader FOMO that you're talking about is like, I know that I willfully miss out on 98% of the things that happen on the internet. Yeah. We've established this mm-hmm. in, in different ways and certainly about different platforms. And I'm okay with that. Um, I don't mind being utterly behind the curve on like cultural things, memes, trends, etc. Um, I derive very little pleasure out of those things. I think they are fleeting and ever-changing. I don't want to do the work or pay attention in the ways that people need to pay attention to these things to know what the latest meme or trend is. I have no problem missing out on that stuff, no FOMO. It's the things that I think speak to some core part of my being, like, and I cannot underline bold this enough, (laughs) feeling like (laughs) Spider-Man, where I really, really struggle putting up some artificial barriers in my life. Because I... Here's the other thing I know about myself. It would undoubtedly be my favorite game ever for two weeks, <laughs> and then I probably wouldn't play it again. And that's what I'm also worried about. Would you at least beat about. it? The main eh, story? I don't know. Here, that, here, that's the reason I bought it. Yeah. Like, it's not going to be my Destiny live service addiction, Yeah, but that's why I bought it full price at a store, because I want more games that are just like, it's single player, you swing around, you feel cool, and then it's over. Right. And I'm just like... $60 for you. Do, can I tip? Like, yeah, right, yeah. more of that, please. Right. Stop trying to make their next killer MMO yeah. bullshit. Like, stop DLCing me to death. That's why I bought Breath of the Wild. Take, yeah. Take, yes. take yeah. everything. You know, take my money. Here's my wallet. Right. Do do with it with you will. Like, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah. It, it, that's, that's where I'm at in regards to that, supporting that. So, another thing. I think this is also a function of where I live at. So... God bless the Ozarks. It's it's cheap to live here. Not exactly a cultural bastion uh, by any means. The bald knobbers we are bass staple. Bro. Which isn't to say that I haven't found lovely people to talk about my interests with you. on this very podcast. But I will say it is a rarity. So I do wonder if I lived in a place that had like stuff mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. and people that were both willing to watch and do things right. and cared about stuff other than uh, sports and country music. I do wonder if I would have a greater fear of missing out culturally if that was the primary conversation. Because, like, as we've denoted on this podcast, a a mutual love of fine craft beers Mm -hmm. and any other form of Mm -hmm. art Mm -hmm. uh, can bond people together and Mm -hmm. be the the, uh, sort of stratus that organizes the social interaction and can be a worthwhile human endeavor in and of itself. And that's basically the thesis of this show. Um, But I do wonder if I lived in a place that followed that thesis, like my current setting does not, would my FOMO be greater in that regard? Mm. You Mm. know what I mean? Mm. Or... Or would it be lesser? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because or would I? Or would I give up? Yeah. Would it be just so overwhelming that you're right. like, well, we have to just. If, if you were in a cultural center like, say, New York City, and you somehow were able to afford to live there or nearby, uh, stuff takes time, money, and effort, and like, especially for New York, a lot of money. I wish I was in a culture city like a like a distant suburb of Baltimore, like like a distant <laughs> like. That or makes, a distant suburb of Kansas City and St. Louis by that standard. And it's still preferable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I don't know if you've been to Kansas City and or St. Louis, but <laughs> I don't think I need to make my case here. Whoa, Mad props to the 816. I don't know. I, first off, I never want to live in, in a cultural capital. I mean, I think we've already... We've yeah, I don't want to live in New York, and right. that's not what I was saying yeah. about. But All there right. are places that are not New York 
that still have more engaging water cooler conversations at work. Well, like for than I would receive typically around the other. And I could be wrong. I could be wrong. No, no, Maybe no. that's a dream. But well, yeah, we idealize other places. I mean, I think that's nature. But like we've talked about Denver a lot, you know, oh, for God, one reason Denver. or another, Denver keeps coming <laughs> oh, up, right? How do you keep up in Denver? I know, right? And so, like, I'm going to Denver in a few weeks to see Joel because Joel lives there now. Everyone's a painter or a performance artist, and that's or the they, thing. they're doing with a trust fund. Yeah, right. No, well, and, now, yeah, yeah. And I keep asking Joel like about things to do. I'm like, hey, how? F- Crooked Stave is in Denver, right? And Joel's like, it's 2.3 miles from my house. And I'm like, hey, this other beer that I really like, I think it's out of Denver. He's like, it's, it is my house. And it's like, what the, how the fuck do you people do anything? In I am beer, Spencer. Yeah. Like, uh, what's that? The Percy Jackson, uh, where he, you know, great movies, by the way. Um, haven't read the books. He goes into that casino and like everything's perfect. And then, oh, like Vaporwave. And then 20 years later, you walk out of the casino because you were like stuck in this time warp thing. The, I assume that other major cities are just like that. So I'm okay not being in whatever that vortex is because I don't, most of the stuff I don't care about. The stuff that I care about is the trinkety stuff. And that's, I don't know, man, that's weird. I know that's weird. I don't care that it's weird, but I know that it's weird. Mm. I don't know. I go to, I go to like Gen Con in Indianapolis and stuff like that. And I talk to other game designers who don't live in like meccas necessarily right, right. of culture in, in the in the Some US. But they still like mention things I've never heard before mm-hmm. and like talk about art and I, I keep a list of things I need to look out for movies and shows that I've never heard of and books I've never read. And it's like it's four days like mm-hmm. eating at like a middling Indian restaurant mm-hmm. that is better than any Indian restaurant we have in town. <laughs> like it's just like Yes, it's a breath of fresh air. And and like I said, like when we came back that one year and then Tom then took us to Texas Roadhouse in Rolla, I wanted to eat <laughs> nothing. Coltons. Nothing except a bullet. Um and it's Rolla. There weren't other options. I mean, so, anyway. I shut up. You can't re- <laughs> you can't fucking redeem that experience. I don't I'm care not how much you should. It. All right. Just- uh so that that's what I'm saying. Like it sounds I, exhausting. So the cultural FOMO thing, we, we have to acknowledge it's real. Oh, for sure. I, I, and I'm sure it's real for everyone. Yeah. I just wonder about degree. I wonder yeah. if this podcast makes it worse. I think it does now that you And you've I said wonder it. if our setting makes it less i I think it does now that you've said it uh, because i think the podcast also has the opposite effect too which is i find myself putting time into things that sometimes i'm not sure that i actually care about because i think there's an expectation that we're going to talk about this thing Mm -hmm. so like i did start iron fist 2 yesterday oh god and for those of you the season two finale is actually really good i don't know that i'm gonna make it right i don't know that i'm gonna make it because like the first episode was not I have thoughts on it. I'm just, I'm right. just, this is what I've heard. No, that's fair. That's fair. Did I mean, I'm probably going to hate watch it for this podcast. Right, exactly. That's why I am. like, it's a negative capability. I don't yeah, know if that no would be the case. It's no Bachelor in Paradise. Yeah. Well, of course not. Especially on <laughs> I, I don't know if that would be the case uh, otherwise. You know, I, I, I'm pretty you know. sure it wouldn't, is the thing, is yeah. what I've landed on. Um, and then the, the podcast has had a weird different effect, too, which is... I started watching some things because I enjoy them, and then I start thinking about what would I talk about on the podcast about this, and then I think it it actually has kind of a negative effect sometimes of like, you don't have to commoditize this thing. But I think everybody does that. I rehearse my conversations at work sometimes in my head. I sure. mean, I think we yeah. all do that. Yeah, so that's like, fair. Yeah. It's just a different context for it, but yeah, I mean... yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. Like, it, do you think FOMO is increased by being a podcast? We have a lot of listeners who have their own great podcasts. Oh, so, for sure. Uh, people would people would have me believe that there is some FOMO. Yeah, anime, and and, and then and then we have people who don't. And I, right. I'm interested to see how that like stacks up as an objective level of uh, cultural FOMO. Yeah, like, I am too. Uh, and and also varied by region. You know. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, 
Anyways, those are our thoughts. Um, we've got to get out of here pretty quickly because now I have to go buy Spider-Man, I guess. Because I don't know if you've heard, makes it feel like Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, hey, if you've been listening to this, it means that you've dedicated some amount of time, energy, effort, and potentially money to this effort. And we really can't thank you enough for that. It means the world that, that you're here, that you're listening, that you're talking about it, sharing it on Twitter and Facebook, and that some of you are even giving your own hard-earned resources for it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're not already following us on Twitter, check us out at The Mixed Six. You can also find us on Facebook. We've got a page and a group. We're The Mixed Six Podcast. Check us out on the YouTubes. We got videos. Also, you can send us things. And in fact, some people could send us things, and then we'd make it a full year. Be part of the final 12. The final 12. Final 12. The Council of 12. Just make this happen, people. Um, You can send it to The Mixed Six, 2131 West Republic Road, number 101, Springfield, Missouri, 65807. Or you could bring it to us in person at the Game Expo in the first week of October. We'd love to see you there. Once again, thanks so much for listening. It means the world to us. I'm Spencer. Producer Ross, if you don't play Floral Shop to get us out of this podcast, I'm going to punch you in the throat. Are we going to get sued if I floral, will, floral Shop is no, on this? No, you know, interesting. One I will physically never attack mind, you. Never mind, no, never no, mind, never mind. It doesn't I, matter. Do, like, do you, can I explain more about uh, that? <laughs> Many artists uh, release their music for free, use anonymous names, because they maybe not necessarily pay attention to sampling requirements. Somebody, physical, yeah. physical attack is on the table if Floral Shop is not in this podcast. Somebody, anyway, I am Caleb. Somebody send me a triple rap horn on a, uh, a Vaporwave song, <laughs> yeah. and you got 10 bucks coming We'll see you next time.
Thank mm-hmm. you. 